first Wednesday. Like usual, we have a very rowdy audience here, which is how we love it here at First Wednesday. If you're a little newer to this whole thing, I'm Pastor Peter, and uh, obviously it is December. And if you didn't know that, well, you saw the snow on the ground if you live up here in the Great White North. And there's a lot of crazy fun stuff about to go down this month. And so uh, tonight is going to be extra fun because in addition to sharing God's word, I want to I want to share a couple last minute, really, really, really exciting, thrilling updates about what as I was saying, we are going to have some fun, crazy, exciting updates that are going to pump you guys up and uh, many of you guys know over the past couple months, uh, we've been doing a series called History Maker on Sunday mornings. And, and of course, really, my, my heart behind History Maker has really been simple. I just, I want you guys to understand some of the why behind the what. I want you to understand the secret sauce, the, the you know, the famous recipe that nobody knows about. I want you guys to understand kind of the inside scoop on why, why is our church defying the odds, Okay. I want you guys to, like, like, so really my goal was to kind of pop the hood on the engine of the car and then show you how we rebuilt the engine a little bit and uh, why we do what we do. I, I, I just, everywhere I go, I see, you know, there's millions of ways to waste money doing evangelism, but what are the most effective? There are millions of ways to go about the process of discipleship, but wh- what are the types of churches that are actually quantifiably measurably changing the world and why, okay? So over the last, you know, throughout that series, History Maker, I was sharing some of the counterintuitive principles about why. Now, uh, originally, I planned on doing a week five on Sunday morning, and I really felt like the Lord is like, hey, uh, part five is a little too advanced for the uh, typical Sunday audience. Many of you guys know on Sundays, I really try to preach to a broad audience. I know that a lot of you guys, you know, invite a lot of friends and neighbors, and not that I'm going to avoid going deep on a Sunday, because I definitely go there. It's just that I'm always remembering that, hey, many of you guys have been barbecuing with your neighbor for six months, and this is their first time ever being in a contemporary church with drums. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get that. Okay, so I I really felt like, hey, I'm going to wrap up the series a little bit on first Wednesday, and so uh, by giving you a little bit of an advanced message, but before we go there, I just want to share a couple fun updates that I think are absolutely amazing that are worth celebrating some great stats that have been happening in our church in 2023. Get this. We have over 401 brand new volunteers serving that were not in our database before. Come on. That's 401 brand new people serving in our church who never served before. In fact, that's that 673 in the last just if you extend it out a couple months, uh, it's crazy. And these are people that were not in our database. So they're not just members that just stopped serving for a while and then said, okay, I'll do it again. You know what I'm saying? So like these are brand new people. This last year alone, we've gotten over 404 brand new people into our small group system, somebody that is worth celebrating because again, 780, if you just extend it out a few months, but here's the craziest stat, okay? Uh, between May and August, which are usually the lowest momentum months in a church's calendar year, especially up here in the north because everybody goes to the cabin or on vacation, okay? So normally, uh, you know, sometimes I don't even like to look at the stats in May, June, and July because it's just depressing, right? But I get this. I, I looked at it, and it was the opposite, okay? 
we got over 500 people who came through our newcomers process this summer. Okay, this summer, this summer, which you can guarantee that means that more than a thousand people gave their lives to Christ this summer because we're only talking about the people that came and then decided to actually take the next step and go through our process, okay? So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's really incredible what the Lord is doing in our church, and I, I can guarantee you that, that uh, you know, going into the Christmas season, usually we kind of blow all of our stats away because it, it's not uncommon for us to get over a 1,000 people who give their lives to Christ at our Christmas services, okay? So, um, you know, when I talk about 500 in the middle of summer, that t- I mean, it's a, it's a big deal that they would actually even take the next step. Now, I, I just, I think that's worth celebrating because I really want to encourage you guys If you've not gotten all in and on mission, this is the time to do it because I really do believe that in 2024 and in the the years after that, we're going to be launching a lot of campuses. We're going to be raising up a lot of new pastors. You're going to, I mean, we're going to do a lot of really exciting stuff that I believe is going to alter Christianity in our region, Uh, but I need all of you to be praying, okay? So just make sure that you just take a little extra time and pray for, for your campus pastor and the pastoral staff in general, your small group, get involved in small groups, help multiply them, all those types of things. But I also want to encourage you to really look, look at some of these mission trips coming up on the calendar. And here's, here's why. First off, uh, like I, I like to tell people, you're never going to fully understand the bigger picture of what we're doing until you go on a mission trip to, let's say, our Monterey, Mexico campus, and you see what God is doing there. Because you're going to say, oh my word, I didn't realize it would be this cool. And I didn't realize that we could do this in another language, in another country. And once you all of a sudden see it, you're going to be like, we're going to do this all over the place. And you're going to all of a sudden get thrilled and get excited. And uh, I I thought, you know, just to cast a little extra vision, recently um, we were talking with uh, John and Kelly Draz, who are leading a lot of our mission trips coming up in the new year. And I thought, you know what, let's just, let's interview them because they have some pretty fun stories about even how they got into it and then ultimately into leading it. But I think you're going to love this. And so with all that said, sit back and check this out. Hey guys, uh, today I want to tell you the story of John and Kelly Draz. Many of you guys know John and Kelly because they've served in all sorts of ministries of our church and, and Kelly, especially in some visible ones. Uh, many of you have seen Kelly sing on our albums. She's been super involved in our worship and, and things like that. But what a lot of you don't know is that Kelly actually gave her life to Christ at our church. Like before Substance, all she ever knew was like, Catholic Church and uh, never nothing contemporary like this and of course uh, over time they got invited to go on one of our mission trips to Peru and so here is their story from their point of view. Hey everyone we're John and Kelly Draz. We are so excited to be here today to talk a little bit about Substance Missions and what it's meant to us over the years. So we remember sitting in a room much like the one that you're in now and seeing a promo video for a mission trip to Peru. And for us, I remember looking across at Kelly and, and I'm like, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's, let's learn more about what's happening there and seeing if it's something uh, that would be good for us and our family. And if I can be honest about the place that I was in emotionally at that time, it was a pretty dark spot. I mean, I had 
just eight months prior lost my mom to cancer and, and it was hard for me to think about stepping out of my comfort zone, going somewhere new, doing something new, being a part of something bigger again, but it really unlocked something in my heart, this peace within me um, to be able to think about serving others again and not just thinking about myself and yeah. what I had lost and what I needed and what I wanted. Now, after the trip to Peru, uh, people kept telling me, oh my gosh, John and Kelly are some of the coolest people. They're, they have leadership capacity in them for the future. And so uh, we had an opportunity to do a substance mission trip to Thailand at the time. And so we thought, hey, let's ask John and Kelly to lead the trip to Thailand. Of course, you know, mission trips can kind of be scary for some people. And, and, and I thought, this is the next level. This isn't just going on a mission trip. This is leading the trip. And I knew that if we asked John and Kelly to do it, it might be a little intimidating for them. And yet, God gave them some pretty cool supernatural confirmations that the Lord was indeed in this trip. We were actually invited to lead the next mission trip to Thailand. And it was about 15 years before we had had a missionary had come to our church. I was, I was thinking back about that and I was like, oh, you know, that missionary was from Thailand. And I hadn't thought about it for 15 years, so that was wild. And at the time, my, my mom had actually come over to our house and she had given us a printer because we were broke and newly married. And, <laughs> and I was opening up a ream of paper and all of a sudden this business card falls out. And I actually have it right here. And this is a business card from when that missionary came to visit that church, you know, 15 years before. I don't, I don't remember taking the card. We never had it in our possession, but it falls out of this brand new ream of paper. So we decided to go and guess who picked us up from the airport? The craziest thing, it was actually that missionary who picked us up from the airport. And again, this is, this is 15 years later, no affiliation with substance, but that to us was like that that confirming moment where God was saying, yeah, I have something for you in Thailand. I have something for you in this trip. And it turned that like wavering into another really strong yes. And I realized that I needed a substance missions experience more than substance missions or the organizations we were supporting needed me there. There is like dominoes that just started to fall yeah. by that simple yes. And the things we've seen or been able to be a part of have made each consecutive yes a little bit easier. It yeah. doesn't mean it's not scary sometimes or inconvenient at times. It's something that we have now, this track record that God has demonstrated in our life, that when we do say yes, amazing things have happened. And they've yeah. often been different things than we expected to happen. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to today. You know, we have this substance campus in Monterey, Mexico, and we had the, the honor and the privilege to go on that first mission trip to Monterey. to describe that feeling when you're in your your 
bus with all of the other folks on the mission trip and you come around the corner and you see the substance sign that you've known and loved for decades. That sign and, and the church and the relationships and, and the ministry that it represents and how it's changed us in so many areas of our lives over the years. To see that thousands of miles away, to think about all the people living locally in Monterey and the fact that they're finding their relationships and their community, they're finding their purpose. It gets us really excited about, for one, what God's doing in Monterey specifically, but also thinking about Church Now and the missions program and how we can invite all of you into playing a part in what that looks like too, and acknowledging that maybe that part looks different for everybody. And I think for us, even like the desire we have to unlock that for other people, we wanna do whatever we can to remove barriers to somebody's yes, or to push them into um, just experiencing something new. Yeah, and that's what we wanna invite each one of you into is an opportunity to go on a trip or participate financially, whatever whatever God is leading you to do. But we want to invite you into that yes so that you can experience that life change as well. And so we are so excited um, to be helping lead the Substance Missions Department and we have some great plans for 2024. We are excited that we're going to have three trips to Monterey, Mexico in 2024, as well as one medical mission trip to Zambia. And what we're hoping in those trips is to not only unlock these experiences for you give, you, give you the opportunity to experience culture, the people, participate in what we're doing there, and even in some cases, like you mentioned with Zambia, take a functional skill that you might bring to these moments, but at the same time, really just being an open invitation to see how God wants to speak to you or move in those moments that are all enabled through your yes. Come on, you guys, get those passports ready, or, or get those passports. I'll tell you what, we're going to, because, I mean, think about it. I mean, we're, our church is putting on conferences in Ireland, UK, South Africa this coming year, uh, maybe Germany, maybe Athens. I'm just saying, this is just the beginning, and I, I really do believe that God is going to call many of you uh, to help even lead some of these trips in the future, but hey, just start by getting involved right here and right now. And, and I, I want to unpack a little bit more about how you can do that. Uh, but just I want to start by just telling you a little backstory. Now, for those of you who don't know me that well, I actually pastored at a church in Wisconsin for, um, you know, almost 10 years. But I, I was even there a little bit longer, not on staff. And uh, I, I happened to be in the same city, in the same area where my parents lived. And uh, early on, of course, you know, my parents went to a very traditional, liturgical, Lutheran church, you know, organ worship, uh, things like that. In fact, actually, there probably were only one or two churches in the entire region that even had drums, okay? So, like, I had never seen anyone uh, raise their hands, you know, before that church, right? And I, I, I remember, like, after I went on staff, it was, it, you know, it was this, you know, ultra-contemporary church. And uh, I, I would, you know, try to drag my dad there. And if he wasn't a, a huge fan of the worship and, uh, and, and in fairness, I understand the, the church at the time was kind of our services were kind of spooky and kind of long. OK, and uh, at the time I was the youth pastor, so I didn't really have much say over the format. But uh, let's just say the church was so passionate about worship that um, 
You really, 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 really had to love worship in order to go there, okay? Because, like, I'm, I'm talking, like, minimum of eight songs before the sermon. Before, I mean, like, eight, minimum. Like, sometimes nine, sometimes 12, like, a whole album. Just, just like, let's play an entire album for an hour and 45 minutes and then preaching, okay? So you really had to love it. And uh, fun for long-termers who love worship, right? Uh, nobody invited their friends, and it was kind of obvious why, right? Such a long service. I mean, the services literally would oftentimes go three hours, okay? So, and then if anybody would look at their watch, we'd spiritualize it, like, don't look at your watch, that's unspiritual. You know what I mean? Like, how churches do that kind of stuff? And, and so, like, I, and to make matters worse, sometimes it got really spooky. I, I remember there was this, like, you know, one lady who um, would get into worship so much, she would moan like she was giving birth, like honest to God, like, <laughs> and, and, and some people, like, would nickname her, like, the, oh, the giving birth lady, you know what I'm saying, like, and so, like, but it was so loud that, you know, it would just echo over the whole congregation, right, I mean, like, like, I'm not just talking about one baby, I'm talking about triplets, you know what I'm saying, like, <laughs> and then there were, then there were, uh, there were probably about a half dozen people that would bring their own tambourines, you know, B-Y-O-T. <laughs> and I didn't even know people did that, right? But I, I, I just, and here's the deal, I'm not against tambourines if they show up at band practice and they have rhythm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> In the band, I'm not against it. But I, I just, you know, if when you would, th these people had zero sense of rhythm. I mean, they have to be like tone deaf, and rhythm deaf, and just would just, I mean, it was like, and you sold them across the entire congregation. It was like walking into a chaotic fourth grade band concert, okay? <laughs> it was just, what is happening? It was just like, you know, it was just like erupt, and there were, of course, that one guy, he had one of those tambourines, like, he must have gotten, like, like it was like a triple-decker tambourine with, like, a drum head. It sounded kind of like a, a, like a, like, you know, like an Eastern, like a Buddhist uh, tambourine drum, and so when he, when he played, it was like this really loud, like shika 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 bam shika 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 bam shika 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 bam bam, and then he would just start throwing bams in there every now and again. You're like bam 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 bam, and then like you couldn't focus. Like like honest to God, whenever I was in the section, I I was I had to go to the other section because I couldn't even think. I couldn't sing. I couldn't think, and then of course like. You know, like, sometimes you, he, it would be so loud you couldn't even hear the prayer. Like, when the worship leader would start praying, uh, this person almost acted like the drum head of their tambourine was like the dial of the Holy Spirit. You know, like, it would just be like, And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was like fluttering into the service on the... And this was not authorized by the pastor, okay? This is a rando <laughs> just doing his thing, thinking, I think this adds. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I just, so if you brought your friend, you definitely would sit on the opposite side of the congregation as the shikabam guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you knew. Don't, don't look for the shikabam, look where he sits, and go to the opposite side, okay? The worst thing, though, this was the worst thing, is the church basically had an open mic moment at the end of the worship, which, it's exciting. <laughs> but
But the problem was, is at the, at the little open mic moment, there was, this, there was this one particular lady, it seemed like every service, she wanted to come up and share the prophetic word the Lord had given her, and it was really, really long in King James, and it was basically, the Lord loveth thou, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it was the same word every single time, and then, but, but th- and that wasn't even the bad part, it was like when she would do it, like right at the end, she would... Uh, it was almost like she would fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit every time she gave the word. Like she'd just go, and then like, and then like ushers would come and lay the little modesty blanket over her. Like, like this. Uh, yeah, she did it again. You know what, I'm it would, what was funny about it? What, and, and listen, I'm not. Li- hear me. I have I have experienced the power of God like that. I believe it is real, but every week, like at some point, like I was just like, really, like I, like, like why isn't there somebody that's bold enough to say, this is a little strange, like we're never going to invite friends if, if we, I mean, if we have to contextualize every service, and of course, you know, I, I remember, like if you invited a friend, I, I remember having to go through a list, like, Okay, so I'd invite that one friend, but I, I started describing the service almost like you have to walk through a minefield, okay? You know, like, and I, I watch out for shikabam and watch out if you hear a moaning voice, okay, just don't worry about it. And, and here's the deal. I don't mind it if church members have to contextualize a service, but people should not have to apologize for a service. Does that make sense? And I, I remember as a young pastor, I thought, Contextualizing is one thing, apologizing for things is a, is a problem. That, those are barriers that I think we can address a, as a church. Well, fast forward a couple years, I wasn't the only one who felt this way. Um, the, the staff and I really felt convicted by the Holy Spirit that we need to get better at evangelism and we need to change some of these quirks that our church had become addicted to. And, of course, you know, I, I ended up having to talk with um, Shikabam. He didn't like it. You know, he was very clear to me that the Holy Spirit only comes through his tambourine. And he, I'm like, well, then bring that <laughs> to another church. And, uh, you know, the moaning lady, we gave her an epidural. She was good. Um, she was fine with it. She, she didn't realize she was that loud. And then... You know, instead of the open mic, I, I actually told the, the prophetic lady, I'm like, hey, why don't you tell me the word, and I'll work it into my sermon. You know what I'm saying? Because it was always going to be God loves you anyway. I can just like, you know, so then I would just kind of work it into my sermon, God loves you. And then, you know, I'd wink at her, and then she'd feel happy. I'd feel happy. And then, uh, you know, I, I so I... But I remember, like, we had gone through all these changes, and, of course, I, I invited my dad again, and he was like, ah, I don't know. And I'm like, Dad, we've changed a lot. Like, our church is getting a little better at some of these things. I think, it would, I think you'd love it. Like, I think you'd love it now. Some of the changes, even still, he was like, ah, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, uh, my dad would show up at my church every now and again, but I'll, I'll never forget he came to a, a church service uh, which was, again, it was rare. He went to the, the Lutheran church with my mom, and then my mom would, like, double dip. But he came with her that week, and, and um, we had in our foyer, like, a mission trip sign up. And uh, it, somebody came running up to me after the service, and they're like, Pastor Peter, Pastor Peter, your dad signed up for a mission trip. 
And I'm like, no, you probably mistook it for like some other guy that looks like my dad. And then they're like, no, look at it. And I look at it and I'm like, that was my dad's handwriting. And like, sure enough, like he, he signed, does, did he know it was like a, did he know it was a mission trip or was it like a, did he think it was a meeting? I was like, in my mind, I was like, my dad, you know, like, are you sure? Like, and sure enough, it was, you know, I talked to my dad and he was excited. Like, I'm like, really? You know, because again, I, I was just, I thought, okay, okay. And, and guess what? He had a great trip and he made all sorts of great friends. And after that trip, he started coming a, a lot more frequently. Why? Because he had a whole bunch of friends in the church. And you know what? Uh, you know, it was, it was funny because uh, looking back, it actually makes sense why those mission trips were catalytic even for my dad's faith. And we always say around here, the number one predictor of spiritual growth is how many friends you have. And in any given moment, good Christian friends you have. Number two predictor, do you have a, a ministry that charges you up? And looking back, you know, those mission trips became one of my dad's favorite outlets. In fact, he not only went on that trip, but he went on dozens more. In fact, he was kind of the regular guy who would be on all of the mission trips from that point forward. But I, 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 I'm sharing this with you, church, because I, you know, through a lot of these experiences, I ended up learning a lot about how evangelism and discipleship can work in different people's lives. And, and for starters, one of the things that I've learned, even just how many people ended up coming to our church because of those mission trips, I, I learned that a lot of people get saved through serving, okay? So just remember that. A lot of people get saved through serving. They may not be able to understand this whole worship thing, but you know what? They can get the idea of giving coffee to someone and being social. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if you're wondering, like, why we want you to serve at our Christmas services or why we want you to get on a mission trip, it's because they're a slippery creek bank into the mission of God. And particularly mission trips are like having an accelerated relationship experience. You bond. It's like a year's worth of small group in, like, one week. You know what I'm saying? And so naturally... It really helps a lot of people, but I, I you know, I, some of, but I, I say this because some of your loved ones are actually going to get saved through serving, and it's not even about you serving at Christmas. It's about you dragging some of your friends and family to serve. Um, there's a whole lot of people, the first time they ever serve at substances at our Christmas service. Same thing when it comes to mission trips. There's going to be a lot of you where it's going to be your son or your daughter or your sister that is going to come alive to the mission of God when they get on the mission trip. Because again, it's not even about you. It's about you inviting other people. In fact, I, I took all of my kids, each of my kids, I wanted them to have a mission experience. Uh, first off, I wanted them to have a third world experience at least once uh, before they graduated because you know what I'm saying. They, they if, if, like for real, almost every person in America is in the top 6% of the world's wealthiest. Everybody in the Twin Cities is in the top 3% of the world's wealthiest. Like, we don't even know what, I mean, we don't, we think rich, oh, it's the Bill Gates, it's the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, the point zero 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 one percenters. But you, you have to understand, right, this room, this is the wealthiest Christians who have ever walked the face of earth in all of history. Any Christian in the United States is one of the wealthiest Christians who have ever walked the face of earth in all of human history. Well, the only way to put it in context is to go to the, literally over a billion people on earth live on less than 23 cents a day. Another billion live on less than a dollar a day. Another billion live on less than $5 a day. I mean, you have to understand, people don't live like us. 
you got to get out there and see what we could do to be a blessing to those people. We were blessed to be a blessing. And so I, I just, I want to encourage you, bring people, get involved. I, I just, you know, even coming back to Kelly and John Draz, who are leading this trip, I, I think what's awesome about even Kelly's conversion story is, is the night before she came to Substance, uh, she was out drinking, she got smashed, and she had a terrible, terrible night. She was feeling vulnerable the next day. She wanted to hang out with her friend who happened to come to Substance. And the friend said, that's cool and all, but if you want to hang out with me, I'm volunteering at two church services. And at first she was like, ah, really? Uh, okay, I'll come with. So she came to church. That's how she came to church, okay? It's her friend who's volunteering. You got to come with, okay? Inviting someone in, right? Next thing you knew, she rediscovered her faith. And over time, she got dragged on a trip. And then over time, now 13 years later, she's leading our trips, Okay, I, I, I just want to point that out so you can kind of see a process here. Okay, same thing is true. We talk about Mike and Missy Evans, uh, like here at Substance, that lead Foster One. They're the, you know, they got saved at a Christmas service a little over a decade ago. And now, uh, you know, eventually they got involved. They started a small group. Now, they're the reason why 1,500 people are going to show up in this foyer in the next couple of weeks to get gifts for foster kids. Okay, I'm just saying... Every year at Christmas, I keep thinking, okay, who's the, who's the new Mike and Missy? Who's the new Kelly and John? Who's the new, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, I'm sharing this because there's a reason also why these types of stories happen here at Substance. And there's, there's, there's some recipes that make a lot of this work. And really, that was, again, the whole idea behind our History Maker series. Because, you know, every church works hard, but not every church bears fruit. And, and so... You know, somebody asked me recently, you know, like, why does Substance do a, a sitcom every Christmas? And I, you know, the short answer is this. It's because we value kids. You know what I'm saying? Most kids have a very short attention span. Uh, variety show Christmas is not enough for most kids. I, in my opinion, I believe that Christmas is supposed to be like one of the most fun times of the year for kids. At least for, you know, like normal kids it would be, right? But I... I, I don't think kids should have to dread going to church. I, I just, I, I, I even think about when I was a kid, that was like, oh, do I have to go to church? My parents would like bribe me with like, okay, we'll open one present if you go and you don't burn the church down. You know what I'm saying? That was like, that, that was like the, the deal. I, it, but I mean, think about it. A lot of, uh, like, a lot of churches, church services are very adult-centric, right? Even just the idea, I even remember thinking like late-night mass, okay, when every kid is exhausted, okay? Let's, that's a great time to preach the gospel to kids who are the most receptive to the gospel, by the way. Okay, so let's arm-twist people into like maybe coming in, in, in all of this by doing like a choir or a living nativity that nobody even wants to be in in the first place, but it's like a gimmick, right? Like, like we can get, if we can just make a little crowd, I, th I remember the only reason why I could stay awake was by burning my sister with my candle. You know what I'm saying? It was like, or I can make a wax cast of my hand. It was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, and maybe, maybe I was the rebellious kid, okay? I just, I'm willing to admit that, okay? I did get kicked out of confirmation, but I, I, you know, again, I, I, the more I read scripture, I, the more I am actually convicted. I genuinely believe it is a sin to bore people with the gospel. I believe it is a sin to bore people with the gospel. I believe that God is the most mind-blowing thing ever. How did we make it so boring? And, I, and here's the truth. 
It's okay to love traditional services, okay? I, I really want to encourage you, it's okay. Um, if you love Midnight Mass because it brings you nostalgia, that's awesome. There is a certain nostalgia to it. But guess what? There's also 10,000 other churches in the city that are doing exactly that. And I, I say that's fine. That's fine. But one of the commitments that I've made over the years is I, if, if I ever feel like we are compromising the Great Commission because of consumerism, and if, if we ever get to the point where our traditions are more important than human beings, then guess what? I think something needs to be rethought, okay? And I, I just, and, and so one of the things that I do, like when I am, cons like a lot of churches will call me up and they want me to consult with them. And uh, a lot of churches are stuck in that permanent plateau that I, I talked about at the beginning of History Makers. Most churches, their Great Commission life expectancy is 17 years. And uh, why? Well, why, why is our evangelism dropped through the floor? I usually, you know, sh talk to them about their church governance. I talk to them about their structures. I talk to them about all these other things. But uh, in situations like these, I usually look at several criteria, starting with these, okay? And I just want to point these out. I call these the corporate evangelism elements. I use the term corporate evangelism because uh, these things refer to the elements of a church that generally the pastoral staff have more influence over than maybe the, the average uh, person who, who shows up. And so like uh, what I'll do is I'll help uh, analyze the environmental aspects of their church. Are, do you create an environment that is conducive to evangelism, starting with your social media? Do you have decent social media? Is it designed for people that are skeptical or bored with church? If it's for Christians, then you're missing it on your social media, your website. Then I, I get into their parking lot. Then I get into their foyer. Then I get into, I mean, there's, th actually, people have had like 20 counter encounters with your church that can be evangelistic or not by the time they even walk into the service. Okay, so, but, but even in the service, I just talked about it. Is your church spooky? Is it three-hour services that are only designed for Christians? Is there no signage? Can you even find where the kids' ministry is? One time my wife and I went to a church, and uh, we were checking our kids into the whatever it was at the time, and there was no adult in the room. <laughs> like, Carolyn literally was started volunteering. She's, like, taking care of babies. Like, there was no adult in the room. And this is, we were the visitors at the church. I just kept thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, like, any other person would have been like, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Talk about kidnapping. I mean, we could have kidnapped all the kids. <laughs> Not that we would have, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I was trying to get rid of my kids, you know what I'm saying, but I, um, but, you know, and so I, I always invite, like, environmental, like, if, if somebody comes, does anybody talk to you? Does anybody help you? Does anyone park you? Does anyone greet you? Does anyone seat you? Does anyone explain anything, you know? What about the music? Is the music entirely for um, long-term church people? You know, the messages, do they even, do they even talk about topics that non-Christians or, or skeptics are even open to or interested in? Then, then we go into events. Does the church do any events outside of Christmas and Easter that are evangelistic oriented? Then in, let's say you do. When you do that, do you have decent promotional cards? Is your graphic designer um, under age 100? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so that way you can relate to what people are interested in. Are, do you have shareable media content that you, your people would actually want to share? You know what I'm saying? Something they would want to repost. 
or not, okay? Then, then which leads to what I call need-based evangelism, okay? So now, um, you know, churches need, like I, I, I make the case in our History Maker series that, that, that over 85% of people who receive Christ in their life will do so between the ages of 4 and 14. Second little window is 18 to 21, but for the most part, it's, you know, the, the people that receive Christ after age 25 generally only do so because of crisis. Well, the good news is, is life is filled with crises. I mean, you know, I, I'm just, let's be honest. Every 10 years, every person will have some form of crisis, be, either a major identity crisis, uh, a divorce, a grieving process, a uh, major medical issue. So, you know, life will throw you curveballs for sure, okay? And so that's why churches need to have need-based evangelism programs, things like um, divorce care, things like grief share, things like food distribution, things like financial counseling. People wonder why we do all of these things. Why? Because we want to be there when people are in a crisis, okay? But let's be honest, everyone has a different predominant need. We have 4,000 people that line up in our parking lot every single week for food. Uh, half of them are brand new immigrants. They, they want like English as a secondary language classes, okay? Addicts need recovery groups. Young moms need to avoid killing their kids by having moms groups, you know what I'm saying? So just, you know, counsel them, right? I, I needed that, right? But I, so next thing, kids and youth programming. Like I said, if you don't have kids and youth, your odds of reaching unchurched people plummets, okay? And, and last, multi-site campuses. I don't want to waste too much time talking about corporate stuff, but um, we don't do campuses because it's closer to you. We do it because it's closer to your neighbor, okay? We know you don't mind driving, most of you. We, you know, like you're here, especially here at First Wednesday, every, you know, we know a church alive is worth the drive, but your neighbor doesn't. <laughs> they weren't taught that, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, they were taught to escape church, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And so if your neighbor doesn't, um, so we're trying to get there so that it's more reasonable for your neighbor to drive, right? And so, because they don't understand the importance of small groups, and the average person's not going to drive more than 20 minutes or 10 stoplights, the old saying goes. And so we got to go to them. Now, now keep in mind, there's a huge group of people that won't even step in a church service, okay? So, you know, because of their preconceived ideas as to what Christians are and what they believe, and that's why we do additional things. Like, you know, like we're having our electronic dance music variant event that's going to be going all over the place, right? And social media stuff. We're, we're, we're going to do motion pictures here at Substance, okay? So we're, half the reason why we're doing sitcoms every year is because we're just gearing up. We're practicing. We're getting better. We're get, but we need more script writers. We need more graphic effects animators. We need more actors and actresses. Come on. Some of you, you want to be the actor or actress, but you'll probably be the script writer. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. You're like, I, you've never seen me with my tambourine, Pastor. Okay. <laughs> Granted. Granted. I might be impressed. Okay. So, but just, I, now, these are corporate evangelism elements, okay? Now, but the average person, the average church attendee usually only has so much influence over these. Maybe, you, you know, a lot of you, you might help with like, you know, launching a Dave Ramsey class or at Mana Market. But for the most part, a lot of these are pastoral decisions. And that's why I want to lead you to the next thing, which is called personal evangelism element. Personal evangelism elements. These are a little different because, um, you know, they, they speak to things that the average person can do to increase 
their fruitfulness. And again, if you get in sync with heaven's priorities, which is evangelism, Luke 15, you get in sync with heaven's provision. So these are things that you want to learn how to get better at. Okay, so now evangelism out of potency and overflow. Uh, let me just speak to that. I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about this on Sunday. Um, but it, it's really speaking to you personal holiness issues. You can't, you got to be the good news before you share it. Not that you got to be perfect, but again, it adds credibility, right? You don't want to be, you know, killing people while you're sharing Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, again, it's kind of obvious, but a lot of people, they, they miss that. And, and, or I talk about like overflow, like, actually, let me put it to you this way, okay? So without holiness, no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. In other words, if our lives aren't changed by it, we can't export what we haven't imported. Does that make sense? Okay, so then, or, or like this, overflow refers to, you might be a Christian, you live a biblical lifestyle, but how filled with the Holy Spirit are you, okay? There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, okay? So when you're honking at people and, you know, swearing at them on the interstate, generally they're not going to like your church bumper sticker, <laughs> which is why we don't have church bumper stickers, because I know you. <laughs> I love you too much to make them, okay? So... That's why I, a, lot, a lot of churches, they just keep it generic, so you know, oh, they go to that church, but they don't know, okay? It's smart, okay? But the idea of overflow is, do you surrender? You may, you may agree with a biblical worldview, but you're not life-giving. All you do is spew politics, or all you do is just, you know, you're, you're mean or critical, and, and so remember, Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give, okay? Freely as you have received, freely give. In other words, you're supposed to give out of the abundance of receiving from God. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19, okay? In other words, we're giving out of the abundance. The way that I like to describe overflow is, is really the way God intended evangelism to work. It's like you having a cup under uh, a sink of water, okay, like a faucet. Now, you can hold your cup, your life, under that faucet for a second and then kind of ration off a drip to each of your coworkers on Monday, okay? But actually, God calls you to live under that faucet, that living water that never runs dry, and to the point where you're overflowing and people just want to come underneath and get what you got because you're generous, right? You got more than enough patience, more than enough resources, generosity to share with other people. And everybody's like, man, what is it? And you can explain, oh, man, God is good. And you can, you can share it with them. I, again, uh, so it, it's, it's this faucet metaphor, okay? A lot of people are, are missing that, okay? So let's go back to, uh, uh, so that's evangelism out of potency and overflow, okay? Then, then we're going to talk about connectivity to non-believers. Uh, what does that mean? Like, do you even realize how many people you interact with on a regular basis that don't know Jesus. You may be the, the only Bible-believing Christian they have ever met, okay? And, it's, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that on Sunday. Um, communication tactics. Are you comfortable sharing your face, faith? Have you ever led someone to Christ? What is, you know, how do you do it in a non-weird way? How do you, like, we can talk about that. Again, I'm going to share that on Sunday. Then there's actual frequency. So you believe in evangelism, but do you actually do it? Do you live at a pace where evangelism can even happen? A lot of times we get so busy we can't. And then uh, finally, prayer as an evangelism mechanism. 
you know, do we talk to God about people in prayer before we talk to people about God? Does that make sense? In other words, we, we need to learn how to pray for people before we share our faith or as we share our faith. Now, um, I, I, I want to just revisit a couple of these, but I, I don't want this to be a lecture as much as it is a, a workshop. And here's the truth. Most of us aren't bad. We're just busy. Okay, but our priorities a lot of times will crowd out our capacity. And I really believe that God wants to just maybe tweak a few things in your head as you think about this Christmas. Right now, I, I just think about this, okay? Every year at our Christmas services, we see at least a thousand people give their lives to Christ, okay? That, that's just the people in the past, it was just, just the people that would even like text it in, okay? So there probably were a lot more, but that's a lot of people. Of those thousand, I can promise you at least 300 of the people that give their lives to Christ and are going to give their lives to Christ are, were a total shock to the person who invited them. They were like shocked. I can't even believe my boss came. I didn't think they would. Like, <gasps> what do I do? Do I have to sit with them? Yes, you have to sit with them. <laughs> I mean, unless your boss doesn't want to sit with you, you know what I'm saying? But I, I just like, and then, and then they're like, oh my gosh, they got saved. What do I do? Like, do I have to sit with them every week, Pastor? You know, like, I already don't like the Monday to Friday. You know, like, and it becomes, I love those crises. That's the, that's the dream, right? I, about 300 of them were a total shock. It's that one relative you never thought would come, right? I, I, even recently, I heard the story of a, an elderly relative who came. They didn't think they would like the service at all. They ended up loving it. Um, they ended up giving their life to Christ. They told the whole family that they gave their life to Christ at our church, and then the following week, they ended up passing away. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I've heard, actually, a, there's, there's actually a lot of stories like this, which is sad, but not really, because they're in heaven having the time of their life, and we're going to be with them forever, right? I, think about this. Every year, one of those converts gets involved, and over time, they end up becoming a really dynamic leader that blesses a lot of people. Again, just think about the Drazes. Think about the Evanses. I just, I, I, I just, and so if you're out there and, and you're thinking, actually what's funny about the Evanses is that they, they were so, they didn't want to check their kids into the kids ministry. And so they had a family member who was like, I will personally serve in the kids ministry that night and make sure, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so are good. And they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, like again, they just needed to be, they needed to feel comfortable about even releasing their kids so they could even expose themselves to the gospel. And then their kids are getting exposed to the gospel too. They didn't even know it. But I, I just... I love that kind of stuff. And so if you're out there and you're thinking, should I volunteer at the Christmas services this year? The answer is yes. Because, like, again, people won't come in if they don't feel comfortable. And so just doing these things excellently, we always try to do things on a whole other level, especially at Christmas. And so uh, it just, again, every year, actually, a huge number of the people that end up serving in our kids' ministry the following year they decided to just do it just for the Christmas services because I hate kids, right? Which generally you're not the one that we want in our kids ministry. But like I, I just, but a lot of those people are like, I didn't realize kids were so fun. Maybe I am a big kid. You know what I'm saying? And they discovered their new passion. You know what I'm saying? Every year it happens. But get this, over 60% of our, our weekend attendees here at Substance, they don't serve on a regular ministry team. 60%, 6-0. As good as we are about pulling people into volunteer, I'm just saying they need your invitation 
in order to get them involved, okay? Because again, it's the second biggest predictor of spiritual growth. And so here's how I want to end, okay? So we're going to end like this. Just take out your, your phones, if you would. Uh, a lot of you have a little note app on your phone. Um, and if you have a, a, like a little, maybe you'll have, you're like, I don't like taking notes on my phone because I'm a slow texter. Some of you are like this texter. You're a one-fingered <laughs> texter. That's okay. Uh, you know, it, it, we have paper as well, old school pen and paper. If you want to do this, I just want to do like, this is like in-class homework. And I know that doesn't sound fun, but trust me, it will be fun, okay? And, and if you're watching online, then just use this little QR code. I, I have an entire blog that takes this to a whole nother level. And so in it, it's just, you, it's peterhaas.org or just, you know, do evangelism worksheet or just evangelism the easy way. Uh, one of those will show up and you should be good. Okay, now, uh, but what, what this is, is it's a list of questions and a little prompts that if you would just dwell on these, in the next couple days, I'm promising you, you will experience the miraculous. I'm promising you. I, I really believe that some of the greatest preachers and some of the greatest leaders this city has ever seen, they're about to become discovered because of this moment. Okay, what if I was to tell you that one of the next greatest preachers that this city has ever seen was going to give their life to Christ as a result of this exact service, would you take this moment serious? That's what I want you to do, okay? So again, just grab a pen or paper um, or grab your phone or re-watch this later and do this, okay? On this evangelism worksheet that I have online, I'm going to just take you to some of the questions, the basic questions that I want you to answer, and, and we're just going to start with the first one, Okay? list just start making a list of everyone you interact with on a regular basis just think through your monday through friday schedule okay so just right now start typing names like when you show up at work who's the first person you see it might be a secretary it might be your friend it might be your spouse because you work at home right i just think about your job think about your school think about your kids sports okay so just think about your teachers think about Piano lessons, dance lessons, just, just think about every frequent stores you interact with. What are the stores you go to the most? Do you have anybody that you know at those stores? Now think about your neighbors. Who are the neighbors that you most likely wave to? Okay, who are the relatives that you see with the greatest frequency? Just start making a list of all of those people. Just speed them out, just like as fast as you can. Just start typing names and... Uh, and then you'll get the idea, okay? Now, the next question is this. List people that you don't interact with yet, but could easily could because of common interests, needs, hobbies, proximity. Okay, so for example, some of you, you have a son or daughter who plays basketball, and you go to those basketball games, and you sit next to the same parents every single week, but never talk to them. And after a while, you even get to become familiar where you see, you know who they are, right? You even, you know who their kid is, right? And you nod to each other, but you never talk, okay? In other words, list some of the people, and, and you may not even know their names, so just describe them. That one couple on the basketball team, that one person, that neighbor I always see, but I never really have talked to yet, okay? So list those people out, okay? Now, here's, 
here's the next step. What are some of the needs of these people? Some of these you're going to know and others you're not going to know, okay? But what do I mean by needs, okay? So let's say you listed some of your relatives and you know that one of your relatives is a single mom and really struggles, needs more babysitting. Or maybe you have a neighbor who has a broken car and you're a mechanic, okay? Or you have something that you could, you could serve the needs of the people around you financially, emotionally. Maybe it's just even just praying for people, okay? What are the needs of these people? Start listing some of those needs, developing a servanthood strategy. Does that make sense? Fourth thing, identify divine grace and chemistry. What is that, okay? On these lists, eventually you're going to come up with like 40 different names of people that you interact with. And there's usually a couple of those people who it's just, it's easy for you to interact with them. You know, it's almost like God has given you a divine grace, a divine connection with a couple of the people on that list. Yeah, there's going to be a few problematic people on that list, but then there's going to be a few people that you have divine chemistry with. Just circle them or bold them. And uh, usually that to me is a sign that God is uniquely anointing me to reach somebody. Out of a list of 40 people, I do believe that God is uniquely anointing you to reach in this season. And then finally, identify who in that circle, they might discover their purpose even by serving, just saying, hey, you know, or, or just talking to them about it, right? Maybe it's a son or daughter that just needs a higher level, not even, we're not even talking about salvation, just they need to get more disciples, the Slippery Creek Bank of discipleship. And of course, the most important one I want to end with is this, what is your urgent next step of, in light of all of this? Some of you, that divine grace and chemistry, you need to make an effort right now and make a decision right now. There's some people that you're like, hey, they may not be ready to be invited to our Christmas service, but they're they're, they may be ready to come over for dinner. You know what I'm saying? They may, become, they may be ready for a first interaction. And I want to encourage you just right now, just close your eyes and think about those people. Who, if, if God was to point out just two or three little action steps, what would he tell you? Some of you, it would be like, yep, have that neighbor over for dinner. Others of you, it's, yep, that one coworker, you need to take the risk and invite them to, to Substance Christmas. Or that one relative who they, they kind of know the Lord, but you're not sure where they're at, invite them to come volunteer at our Christmas service. What if, what if this Christmas, your provision came by helping someone else's by solving someone else's problem? What if your miracle came by alleviating someone else's misery? As I, as I prayed about the Substance Christmas this year, I just really got this sense that God was going to give us some pretty dynamic future leaders this year. There are going to be people coming to our services this year who are actually going to be, go on to change the nations. I really, really do believe that. I do believe that that, that some future substance pastors are going to give their lives to Christ at our services. Like coming up this in, the, this in the next couple of weeks. And I just, what if God took that one wild relative of yours that you just never imagined could be a believer and, and, and made them alive? I made them alive to Christ. As one last story, I remember there was this one guy in high school that I couldn't stand. And uh, 
this, this dude who just, he would always get kicked out of my classes, but he was so obnoxious. He was just, you know, he was like, he was like sexist and just would say everything he would, I just, one of these guys who was just blah, grating, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just, I remember, and I was not a believer at the time, okay? So I remember like, blah, I hate that guy. I'm so glad, my teacher finally kicked him out of the class for good, wouldn't let him come back. And I was like, I'm so glad, he's so irritating, right? And I, I just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I was not a believer yet. Well, um, I, I fast forward, I, I remember hearing through the rumor mill that that guy gave his life to Christ. And I was like, wow, that, it, people were like, this, this, we were like, yeah, did you hear so-and-so became a Jesus freak? And I was like, no way, like, dang, he needs it. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully it'll help him because he's a jerk, you know what I'm saying? Like, and again, I'm not a believer myself at the time, all right? Well, fast forward, I have my conversion story. I gave my life to Christ in a nightclub, started going to church, started getting more involved in ministry, and take a wild guess who started coming to the same church? That guy. And guess who became my best friend? That guy. And guess who ended up doing all sorts of ministry stuff with me? That guy. Guess who... We, we became pastors together, that guy. Listen, I, it, it's funny to actually know him after Christ moved in his life because he, he had a total makeover. And it really, you know, like some of those people that irritate you the most are sometimes maybe the most anointed for, for being, uh, a, a, most anointed for something that will bless you in the future. The people that irritate you the most might actually be the ones that God uses to bless you. And I'm simply saying, what could God do this year if you just really became aware of what he is doing evangelistically through your life? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every leader in this room and for every Christian in this room. Lord, I believe that you are revealing yourself and wanting to do miracles in all of our lives. And Lord knows <laughs> when we look back at our own lives from heaven, we're going to say, I can't even believe you adopted me into your kingdom. But Lord, you died for us. You forgave our sin and you redeemed us for a purpose. And I pray that you would help us come alive to your purposes and help us to help other people get to know you this year. And so speak to us God, really, really reveal the people that you would call us to reach out to this season so that this would be a, a truly a moment that worships you. And church, if you're agreeing what I'm, with what I'm praying, then just say this, say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, help me to know you and to make you known. Speak to me about who you would have me help. In Jesus' name. We mean it, Lord. Speak to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to have some fun, you guys. It's, it's for real. It's going to be fun. Wait until you, when you guys see the sitcom... It's like uh, Pink Panther and the Clue and uh, Hercule Poirot, Murder on the Orient Express, whatever. I think you're going you're gonna to have fun, or at least your kids will. And, uh, you know, for real, though, it's, it's on, if you've never been to a Substance Christmas, I'm just saying it's over the top. And so make sure you're helping us prep for all of it. Amen?